0: I'm Jack Moylan and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today, we're talking about developing leadership skills, just general leadership topics, and really I'm just excited to have a nice conversation with my friend, Ron. We're joined by Lutz Consulting shareholder, Ron Nevia. Ron, can you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: and
0: and what it is you do here?
1: Jack, thanks so much for having me today. I couldn't be more honored and privileged to be your guest on the show. I think I would probably define my role at Lutz and and what I do is, is mostly consulting anymore. I think I've probably done more things than any one other more different things I should say than any one other individual at Lutz I've kind of taken a tour of duty in almost everything that we do Most of the non-traditional services that we have here at Lutz are are something that I've had involvement with either at the outset or at some point in the operations of of each one of those entities you know I, I think 20 years ago if you had asked that question my answer might have been, more specific as to a certain topic but today i think it's probably you know a whole basket full of different things that i do
0: how many years have you been at let's not
1: 33 33 and a half
0: that's a a really long in fact in fact that is seven years older than i got a lot of experience especially i'm sure in what we're going to talk about today which is leadership but to what you do I'm sure you know consulting and 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 what what that entails, but not only externally with with clients, but you consult internally as well. So, have you gone through a transition of business development external and moved to more operational and building internal services? I mean, is that?
1: Well, I I think what happened there is you know probably about 15 years ago, we the st- uh, lead strategy counsel at the firm, for lack of a better term kind of figured out that we were pretty good at winning work and our most constricted resource was going to be labor and finding people who wanted to do the work and finding people who wanted to put some roots down and stay at Lutz for their whole career. So we got fairly aggressive on the recruiting front. I guess you could probably say I stopped chasing business 100% of the time and started chasing talent for 40% of the time or something like that. And and the, the role kind of switched towards more of a headhunting role. As that's evolved over the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of those people that I've had a hand in recruiting, I also have a hand in mentoring. And I think what's happened is my role has kind of morphed into one of tour guide, for lack of a better word, for a lot of the the younger people we've hired?
0: Well, I think one thing that's very clear in that headhunting slash tour guide role is the ability to lead individuals to the correct role and help guide them into becoming, I guess, who who they are going to be at LUTs. I'm sure that's not always been, I think one important thing is is you mentioned keeping people at LUTs for their entire career, obviously in public accounting, I think that's difficult from my limited understanding. I guess what are some ways that you've been able to help guide people through the difficult moments and, and help them see the light at the end of the
1: tunnel for another way of putting it, helping keep them here as a part of the team. Well, so how have you done? This? You know, that's an interesting question. For for my whole career, you know, when I was in the let's call it, let's break my career up into thirds. In the first third of my career, back, you know, kind of when I was your guys' age, I wanted to know what it took to get to my destination. Tell me about my career path. Tell me what I have to do to be a partner. Tell me what I have to do this. Tell me what I have to do to do that. And in the middle third, I was just existing as a partner, kind of, you know, coming to work, nose down, nose to the grindstone, just get it done. In the final third, I'm the one being asked the question, what do I need to do to further my career? So part of that has been, and I've had lots of help doing this, but we've tried to to develop, and, and I give Steph Hand a lot of the credit for this, we've tried to develop definitive career goals for people so that when they ask the question, what do I need to do to make partner, we can give them an answer that at least has a little bit of objectivity in it and isn't so completely subjective. You're never going to be perfect at that but we've spent a pretty good deal of energy trying to show people what their career path can look like if they desire it to. It's not just a matter of us putting out the rules and you guys checking boxes and pretty soon you're in a position of leadership or pretty soon you've elevated yourself to partner level. I think we've got to tell you what the roadmap looks like, but you guys got to drive the car and you guys got to be the fuel source and you guys have to provide your own motivation. We can tell you what the rules are, but we can't motivate you.
0: Well, and I think one thing that I've experienced, and I don't know if it's because of the group that I'm involved with, but I think it's a pretty common pretty common thing around here is, yeah, you, you give us the roadmap in a sense, but, but there's the freedom to deviate that road a little bit. And there's enough options in terms of, of what that road might look like that, Again, it falls back on, on the individual to be creative enough to to show this is the right road for me. I mean, did you ever have a, a did a light a light switch ever go off to say, okay, we need to be more creative and less rigid with the road and allow for for more
1: options? I'd have to ask you what you're talking about. I mean, in terms of finding new business paths and new ways to serve our clients, yeah, you've got a pretty wide road. In terms of developing leadership skills and becoming, you know, one of the go-to respected people in the firm. I think those traits are pretty much the same as they've always been. I don't know that you can kind of invent a new way to be respected by your peers. I mean, those are pretty.
0: I think, I mean, I I agree. And I think I was talking more on the the specific role and and day-to-day role, but you're right. I think that garnering respect from your peers and and getting to a position of leadership is is a pretty concrete set of of ways of doing that. Yeah. You guys,
1: you guys asked me that. One of the questions you asked in the introductory document you sent me was what skills or characteristics does an effective leader possess? You know, and I kind of think that's a bullet point list and a lot of them are written on the walls at LUTs. We tend to try and keep it pretty simple yeah, courage, consistency, optimism, foresight, an overwhelming sense of fairness, and a fairly infinite emotional energy source. I don't want to say anybody has infinite energy, but the leaders seem to learn how to use that emotional energy in the right spots and not run their gas tank dry. Right.
0: So let's go back to that. Then the the description or definition of of a leader, you explain some of the characteristics, but the reason I bring or I want to say a simple definition of what a leader is, is because I can think of a couple of things. One of which is when the team succeeds, it's the team's fault. And when the team fails, it's the leader's fault. I mean, I feel like that's a a personal mantra i suppose that i've thought makes really good leaders in in the people that i've been around yourself other individuals what do you think of
1: that i don't know let's focus on the fault word for a second that I, i think is is something we all need to be on the same page with if if something fails i don't know whose fault it is sometimes it'll be obvious but most times it won't be. Most times it's it's kind of a blurry gray mess as to why things didn't go the way you wanted them to go. So instead of using the word fault, use the word problem. Whose fault is it? I don't know, but it's so-and-so's problem. A leader always accepts responsibility for problem solving. It might not be their fault, but they got to fix it one way or the other. And if the bad behavior is causing problems within the whole organization, yeah, the bad behavior might be the result of one or two or even 10 people's misguided deeds. But even if you find them at fault, the leader still has to solve the problem. I don't think leadership is a role you can appoint yourself to. I don't think you can wake up one day and say, you know, today I think I'm going to my new career goal is to be a leader. I think you get elevated to that. I think people that you work with naturally start gravitating to you for foresight, optimism, fairness, courage, you know, all those attributes that we at Lutz want our leaders to possess. I think if you're looking for a a definition of a leader in the workplace. I think it matters which workplace you're talking about. I mean, a retail enterprise has different attributes for a leader than a professional service enterprise or for a, you know, construction management enterprise. Those, those all three kind of require a different mindset of the leader. I think if an organization has defined its priorities pretty well, I I think you can just say a leader is a poster child for driving towards those priorities
0: right aligning with the the overall mission or the overall goal well and it's interesting you you bring that up there's an article in harvard business review but it's the accomplishment of a goal through the direction of human assistance which this is from a dated passage from the 1960s but the thought holds true that a successful leader is, is one who can understand people's motivations and enlist employee participation in a way that marries needs with the interest of the group's purpose. So to your point absolutely it's a poster child of what the ultimate
1: purpose Yeah and you know Jack that could have been from 1960 or 1660. Right. I mean that, that doesn't change if you look back and you read you know history books you pretty much find out that most of the leaders have very similar attributes right even the bad ones even the ones that have taken us down into a dark place they had some of these attributes and they just chose to use them for for evil instead of good
0: to your point about leadership being elevated to a leader instead of self-appointing yourself to a leadership role i feel like the term leadership sometimes not sometimes it carries a feeling of an image of a pyramid right and at the top there is the leader and that's in my mind, I think that that may be a, a poor way to look at it because everyone wants to be at the top because of, well, that's also an assumption that maybe not true. Not everyone wants to be at the top, but in each individual role, each individual group, there's a hierarchy that requires leaders, right? So it's not.
1: Well, you're OK. You got to remember something, man. You've really only been at LUTs. OK, I think if you talk to people that come from the outside and join Lutz a lot of times they're pretty confused by our leadership paradigm. And I guess to expand on your analogy a little bit, is it a pyramid or is it a mountain range? Because at Lutz, you know, there's some pretty strong personalities. And I would say each of them, I would define as a leader. I mean, Susie Krause. Susie Krause has got a tremendous leadership role not only in the production process for one of our divisions, but culturally. And I, I think she's an example of, there's probably, you know, uh, I call it a dozen of those people that are their own little pyramid, are their own little peak within a mountain range. And yeah, Duran has ascended to the top of the top. Maybe his mountain is the highest of the mountains, but He's not that much higher than, than Susie, for instance, or a couple of other people who, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to go down right. dropping names here, Jack, how, how gauche that would be.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think that's, that's exactly what I was trying to, I guess, get at is that it, Mark's position may be perceived as being the highest, but it's simply a different set of, it's a simply a different set of mountains in the
1: mountain range. I get it. Now. I get that, but that's the way Lutz does it. right. Now we we've been advised by several industry consultants to have, you know, more of a one pyramid kind of thing where everybody gets in line behind one person. That' just hasn't worked well for us. You know, Gary never was that type of leader. Gary always solicited the support and the opinions of you know, the other leaders. Amongst him, and it was always a consensus. It was never a dictate. And Mark has, you know, kind of picked up that torch and and done the same. And I, I guess it's my hope that you guys continue to do that. Yeah, somebody's always going to have to be managing partner. Yeah, the bucks always going to have to stop with somebody. However, that person ought to just be the spokesperson for you know the the dozen or so. Dynamic leaders that are that need to exist within an organization of our size, and as you guys, you know, if, if the organization size doubles, then the leadership required may double, but it might not. Twelve people might effectively be able to lead three hundred people, and those same twelve people might effectively be able to lead six hundred people. We've we've expanded in size quite a bit over the last ten years, and I would say our leadership count has remained fairly the same. I mean' we're, you know we're still in that 10 to 15 range for the, the, the number of people who I think are looked at by all their peers as somebody who is their leadership and spokesperson. We have lots of them Jack. I mean you can right. you can go down the, the employee roster and you can take a yellow highlighter and find quite a few. Very effective leaders within our our ranks.
0: I agree. I think that's that's at the end of the day. My point too is that it's not just a leader within your role, a leader within your business segment, or a leader within your your practice, but it's you can have cultural leaders as well.
1: You oh, can have- absolutely! And hey, I I think the pandemic. You know the fact that we're doing this over Zoom. I think this has been the absolute longest most sustained assault on our culture in my career. I mean we're fighting through it, everything's going to be fine, but it has required, you know, a great deal of thought and a great deal of stamina to get through it. There's good aspects to it. I mean some of these Zoom calls have actually turned out to be pretty good in terms of, you know, stimulating conversation, but there's no substitute for being in the office and being around, you know, the jokes that kind of break out all the comedians that live amongst us. It's not like they're doing their bit over Zoom. Their bit occurs each day in the office spontaneously. And without having that Petri dish for all those chemical reactions to occur, you know, it's, I I think we're losing something. So we need to get this thing over with and get back to living life in the same building. I
0: completely agree, especially when if you're a guy whose comedy depends on either self-deprecation or physical (laughs) physical motion. I mean, that's that's a thing to me. I tell people all the time. I when I meet someone, I take off my mask real briefly just so they can see my face, and I'm like, man, if I could see yours, I'd do a whole heck of a lot better with feeling like I know who you are.
1: Yeah, but on the positive side, we have managed to get through this thing. And, you know, I'll tell you right now, I've had some some Zoom meetings that I don't know if they're going to go back to being in person. I mean, when when everyone has to drive two hours to go to a meeting or you can get nine faces posted up on the screen, yeah, that can probably be just as effective. And, you know, as a leader, I think you have to advocate for that. If it's a choice of, hey, we can meet once a month over Zoom or once a quarter in person, dude, I'll take the once a month.
0: I agree. To that, to your point about leaders role in this current situation, I'm sure it's been, I don't know what it's been like being at a similar position to you or another, you know, brother Gary Newton or Scott, but you have to be sensitive and allow people to feel, I guess, the freedom to manage this the way they want to, right?
1: That's an interesting question. You know, everyone has, everyone at well, everyone, everyone in the world has a different management style. And uh, I think everybody that ascends to a management position tends to manage in a way that they themselves wanted to be managed when they were younger. Okay. So in my case, I just kind of wanted to be told what to do and what the deliverable needed to be and i was okay being left alone i kind of just drove towards the finish asked questions if i had them but i didn't need regular check-ins and i didn't need i didn't want regular oversight i tend to manage the same way as that and it works conversely there are other people who 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 did enjoy a more you know mm-hmm. intense interaction while they were being led and they've in turn have that leadership style. They they're they tend to be more involved. They tend to be it's a more interactive engagement, and that works for them. So to say that one way or the other is better, I, I don't I don't know that I could say that. I, I would say as long as it's consistent. And as long as everybody on both sides of the equation understands what the rules of engagement are, great. Keep doing it.
0: To your point about how how you like to be managed or how you responded well to let, tell me the goal and I'll go after it. And then in turn, you've led that way. How have you been able to you know, overcome or experience success with people that you've had to manage or lead that don't? do it that way that seems difficult and how how willing do you have to be as a leader to mend your leadership management style to someone that say wants to have regular checkups and be more rigid and formal or can you
1: I don't know I don't know that you can I I I'd be lying if I said yeah I can just change the way I approach something and if somebody needs a lot of interaction that I'm I'm effective doing that. I don't know that I am. I, I don't know that and and I I think that person is better led by someone wired differently than me. I don't think anyone should be seen or should view themselves as the leader of all. That seems a little extreme. Look at the the way we the way our political World has evolved. I mean, half the people line up behind one leader, and the other half be- line up behind the other leader. And
0: which should... I think is too oversimplistic, to even just having two.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So I agree with that. But we, we, you know, let us not digress into such a terrible topic as <laughs> today's politics. I, I think it's absurd that we have said there's two. There's not two. There's two hundred and twenty-two. And I don't know practically speaking how an organization can survive with 222 varied phil- leadership philosophies. You can't. So you've got to pick several. And in Lutz's case, you know, let's call it 10. You know, we, we probably have 10 different styles of leadership, some of which are maintaining every day, some of which are barely ever maintain. you know, when I say maintaining, keeping in contact every day, some of which keep in contact once a month. So I don't want you guys to get yourselves to thinking that you need to boilerplate leadership roles and have everybody marching to the exact same beat. We're, we're not the army. Okay. And I think there's a place for that type of thing. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're in battle, yeah, you need well-defined, well-scripted leadership. With us, when you're trying to serve a very dynamic client base and you're trying to deal with a very dynamic group of of coworkers, I think that lends itself towards, you know, maybe sponsoring or endorsing, you know, a dozen different leadership styles.
0: Is the selection or decision on leadership styles that are in the leadership group over LUTs, has that been deliberate or purposeful? And if and when someone of that group leaves, whether it's retirement, what have you, is there a deliberate approach to fill that spot? Or is it the natural kind of flow of the organization?
1: Oh, I think it's natural. There are some things that are deliberate. I think using StrengthsFinder. Has helped us a great deal in terms of, you know, these are the people that tend to focus on the now, and these are the people that tend to focus on the intermediate term, and these are the people that tend to focus on the long term. And, you know, I think you probably need a blend of all those. So I probably struggle a little bit with the detail of the now. I'm not someone who is very effective in that leadership realm. On the other hand, in terms of the intermediate or more even long-term future, I'm more comfortable there. So, yeah, you you know, you're probably going to need to replace a little bit of that if I leave, but I don't think you're going to limit yourself to, you know, I don't think it's going to stop someone who doesn't necessarily have that leadership paradigm from ascending into a leadership role. I think it's more leadership is more of a emotional energy thing
0: to your point about if someone doesn't necessarily have those characteristics that need to be replaced that'll limit them from being able to ascend to a leadership role that's one thing i've found extremely refreshing i think about our organization is that there's more of a a feeling of if the right person comes along you'll find a spot not sorry that that spot's not open you can't join kind of thing and has that been a natural occurrence
1: Yeah, I think you're a classic example of that. I mean, we didn't need to hire Jack Moylan when we hired him. I don't think we needed to hire Scott Kroger when we hired him. There have been several examples of that throughout the firm's history. Steve Kinney could probably fall into that category. When good talent comes available and the person in question aligns with the philosophy of team then I think you need to take a chance on that person. Chris Bouchard, another good example. But, you know, and we haven't mentioned team or trust yet, but if we're talking about LUTs in particular, those are the two things that I would say are mandatory. We don't want people cowboying. We we only want people who are interested in working as a team, Our foundation, and this is kind of a corny thing, because every organization says this, you know, you got to have trust. You got to have trust. Well, yeah, of course you do. But for an organization to survive for 40 years, and and I'm not kidding you, to have never had a shareholder vote on an issue, never. Never. Yeah. I mean, that requires a great deal of trust. And as we have strived for more trust, we've concluded that the common ingredient to trust is communication. And it's, it feels like over-communication a lot of times. It feels like we're just repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again. But I think that's what's required so people can feel the consistency And, you know, you're saying the same thing over and over and over again. And pretty soon that breeds trust. Trust and teamwork are on all the organizations that I've consulted with. And thinking about our own organization, I think we've excelled at both of those two aspects more so than the organizations I've dealt with throughout my career. That is the Lutz's secret sauce. So I guess I know we haven't said this yet, but a leadership in this organization needs to absolutely excel at both of those two attributes. I
0: think a very uh, appreciated byproduct of the trust that that we have is the the candor and the transparency that we get to enjoy. I don't think that happens unless you feel that you, you trust the environment you're in or the people you're talking to.
1: Yeah, and that's all that's all part of that same you know, big ball. I mean, you can't be candid without trust and you can't have trust without candor. Right. It's pretty simple concepts, Jack, but it's harder than hell to be candid. You know, a good effective eval has a very high dose of candor. I've always said to people, hey, look, if you want to really enjoy your job, you can't get in your car at night and go home and worry about what you don't know. Because it, it'll it'll ruin your time away from the office. If something's bad, you're better off knowing about it rather than wondering about it and conjuring up all kinds of most likely exaggerated problems in your head. Most problems are way worse in your head than they are in reality. So, no.
0: I want to highlight the word most. I think anytime I feel anxiety, it's based off of a social interaction that I didn't allow or was not allowed to take to the point that I needed it to, to feel that it came to a conclusion. And then you create all this other stuff.
1: That's right. That's right. Tom Petty, man. (laughs) Most things I worry about never happen anyway.
0: (laughs) This wouldn't work if we didn't have a little Tom Petty in here. I have a couple of other things I want to want to touch on. How do you get better at being a leader? I mean, again, going back to your point of it being more of an ascension and, and a natural elevation, in my mind, and let me just start by saying something I think is really important, and there's probably certain nuances that you may disagree with, but I don't think you can consider yourself a leader if if you ask people to do things you're not willing to do. Yeah,
1: that's, that's fair. One. Yeah, that's, that's fair. One. How have you grown your your leadership skills and has it been deliberate? I mean, I don't know that I'd say it's deliberate. I just, I guess it starts with owning problems, you know? I mean, getting over the fault thing was a big deal. Who, who cares whose fault it is? Let's, solve, let's own the problem and solve it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think I have swept up a mess that other people have created many times just because I needed the problem to go away. And if I would have been, you know, if I would have stood my ground and said, Nope, Nope, I'm not fixing that because it's not my fault. Well, that wouldn't have gotten us anywhere.
0: To that point though, Ron, I, I even, I've seen you. And because here, here's, here's where my statement really is, is when, when the team succeeds, it's the team's, it's the team's praise. When, when the team fails, it's, to your point, the leader's problem. It's my problem, and, and how do we fix it? But I, but but I've seen you and, and specifically with me indicate, the, let's say it's a it's a failure, and you take the ownership over that. But it was my fault. You still need to let that person know. That. I mean, how do you do that
1: compassionately? I suppose, or can you? I, I, but yeah, I, of course you can. Of course you can. I mean, tell them the truth tell the truth, but be compassionate about it. I mean, if I, let's say, let's say you did something on purpose. Okay. Well, that's a totally different message than if you did something on accident. That goes to trust. it. Yeah. So, but if you tell the, but if, if I tell you the truth, Hey Jack, this is why I I'm, I'm upset with you. And this is how I think we got to this intersection and you agree with me and I trust you, and you trust me, then I'm just going to say, okay, dude, let's not do it again. And, you know, if it happens again, well, the trust starts to erode. If it happens a third time, yeah, the trust is probably gone. So I've maintained for years that kindness, compassion, and consideration are three attributes that everybody at Lutz needs to walk around and live with every day. And those three terms are very similar, but they're not the same. Kindness, compassion, and consideration are different things. And if a person remembers those three things and always tries to be those things, well, I think that's gonna solve 90 some percent of our potential problems. And then you just deal with the outliers.
0: Well, I think that's a good one to uh, end on. I think the teamwork and trust is obviously non starter, but then maintaining a level of kindness, compassion, and consideration. I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. I think being willing to do what the client needs on a service level and doing it with kindness, internal and external, is huge.
1: Yeah. Hey, dude, it's hard to be kind when you feel like someone's messing with you. Okay. But everybody should get one or two. Oops. Then the role switches. Okay. Now the third offense, now you've, now a leader's got to say, okay, wait a minute. I've got to be kind to the other hundred workers that this person is, you know, making miserable. So this clearly is not an accident. This clearly is a pattern. You've got to take the, the, the problem child out of the equation to be kind to the other 100 people. So I think it's a perspective of who's in your audience. The first time somebody, you know, let's let's use you as an example. The first time you make a mistake, you're the audience. The second time, you're kind of the audience, but so are your coworkers. The third time... Leadership is the audience to the leadership is probably the coworkers, and not you. Those people are looking to you, the leader, saying, "What are you going to do with this problem? You got to get them out of here." At that point, you become the the leader becomes the police force, which is absolutely necessary. But it's it's that's horrible. An- it's horrible. But yeah, it's necessary. But it's it's horrible. I think that
0: topic, as well as I was going to talk about individual motivations and kind of aligning those, and and that goes back to. I guess that goes back to leadership strategy and someone's individual preference on management strategy. It's similar to that topic, but we could talk for a long time. But thanks for the conversation. It's always fun.
1: Thanks for doing this, Jack. I think people are enjoying it and I think it's a good way for us to get to know one another a little bit better.
0: I agree and I appreciate it. And I think it's also important to remember how how much effort Brooke puts into this because it's a lot.
1: Of course, Brooke, actually, Brooke should probably get most of the credit for this. You're just the, you're just the talent. <laughs>
0: she, she has to deal with me. She absolutely gets most of the credit. <laughs> right, All right, good. see you.
1: Okay, see you later.
0: Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.